Greetings, this is Douglas Gimple, Senior Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, and this is Understanding Edge. Joining me today is Kavi Shalar, a member of our research team covering media, and we'll discuss a little bit of his background, and then we'll get into talking about Disney+, Plus, uh, its impact on some of the other streaming services in the market, and what the expectations are for the service. Enjoy. Kavi, talk a little bit about your background, how you got into the industry, and, and how you got to your area of expertise. Um, so, yeah, I've been with Diamond Hill for nearly four years now covering the media sector. Um, before that, I uh, attended college at, uni- at Elon University in North Carolina and worked at Deloitte doing financial modeling. Um, so we'll jump into the, to the heart of the discussion and, and something that's coming up on November 12th, which I'm somewhat excited about, although my kids are older now, so I can't use the excuse of, of watching some of the old classic <laughs> animated movies. But Disney Plus is going to launch on November 12th, as I said, and, and will compete against a variety of streaming service providers like Netflix, HBO Max, NBC Universal's Peacock. What do you think their edge is going to be in the fight for the consumer and, and how they position themselves ahead of the launch of Disney Plus? Yeah, so. The meeting, the saying in media has always been that content is king, and that's Disney's edge. They have the highest quality content, and also you know that it's them making the content. Like the way the current pay TV bundle works, uh, I don't think you always know who's actually making the content that you watch. It's just the channel. Um, so everyone knows when they see a Disney movie or show or a Marvel movie or show. Mm-hmm. Um, Star Wars, Pixar, and National Geographic. So, yeah, they have a very strong brand as well that's known globally. Um, so they're the best position on that front. The other competitors, uh, in one way or another, have a distribution advantage, um, which can be almost as important as content, but I don't think it's quite as important. Um, Netflix is the obvious one. They're closing in on 160 million subs globally, uh, by far the leader. Uh, Content-wise, they're also pretty good. Um, Highest quantity of content that appeals to the most amount of people across several different genres. So they're pretty well positioned. Apple is not there at all on the content side. Um, Very little content. But at the same time, they can put the service immediately on every iPhone in the world. Um, And they have your credit card information. So there's a lot of friction taken out of the process. Uh, So they're very well positioned there. And they have a lot of cash. So if they wanted to produce a lot more content, they could. Amazon is probably second right now uh, in terms of existing players. They've been doing this for a while. Um, And they also have the distribution advantage of Prime and that they give it away to Prime members for free. They're also well positioned. um, But again, it's mostly a distribution advantage. HBO Max, they're supposed to have an event, I think, in a few days uh, to kind of outline their plans with it. HBO now is priced at like 15 bucks a month, and if they price it lower, I think it might upset current HBO fans um, or HBO subscribers. But if they price it higher, then you're going to market at 15 to 20 bucks per month when Disney's at seven and Apple's at five and Netflix is at 12 to 13. Um, so it's a little difficult to figure out how it's going to do well, but they certainly have very good content. And then for Peacock, I, I don't think that they're really competing with these other guys. Um, yeah, so it's an, it's an amazing shift in the entertainment business, going yeah. from 
you know, my brother works for AMC. You know, he, he helps run The Walking Dead. So uh, hopefully he still has a job, but that, that seems to be doing well. But, you know, you wonder how much more is left for regular television as people continue to cut the cord. You mentioned a little bit of it, and, and I'll freely admit that I'm a huge Star Wars fan, although not of some of the more recent stuff, uh, a giant Marvel fan. <clears throat> and as you mentioned, these properties are going to be utilized to develop new products, new shows, uh, with some of the announced generating some buzz like The Mandalorian and, and some of the Marvel properties that they're going to they're gonna expand on. What other areas are they looking at that will appeal beyond Marvel and Star Wars? Yeah, yeah. So that's two of their brands, and they emphasize another uh, uh, three more. Um, Pixar is the obvious one. Uh, everybody loves their movies. Most of the movies will be on there from the start. Uh, they're going to start to uh, develop IP, like new shows, based on that, based on IP from Pixar. Um, IP the, being intellectual property. Yes, I'm okay. sorry. Um, okay. The one I'm most excited about is Monsters, Inc. Uh, they're doing a TV series based on it, and they're getting Billy Crystal and John Goodman coming oh, back, really? doing the voices. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, they're doing a Toy Story spinoff, and I'm sure there's plenty more to come from them. There's also the original Disney brand, so like the Snow White movie and, yep. you know, up to Lion King, all that good stuff will be on there. Uh, but also Disney Channel um, and Freeform, or what used to be called ABC Family, uh, they'll be making shows or remaking shows related to that. So I think people are excited about High School Musical. Yeah. Um, I'm not so much. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm not excited about that at all. Yeah. They're also, the one I'm excited about is they're supposedly doing a TV series based on Sandlot. And oh, wow. utilizing the original cast. So, I don't know, it sounds pretty interesting. And then uh, National Geographic is basically all the nonfiction stuff. Uh, one of the new shows is, I think it's called The World According to Jeff Goldblum, which oh, yeah. I'm good with listening to him explain stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's going to be several other documentaries on just like how Disney does things, um, you know, maybe how Pixar makes a movie, stuff like that. So, should be pretty interesting. Yeah. And, uh, my wife was pointing out that Bear Grylls is going to National Geographic. Yeah, that sounds so, right. So yeah. that should be, be able to see interesting him. as well. I, I have to ask that, you know, one of your tasks is evaluating Disney as a whole. Yeah. And as a whole means there's a lot of moving parts. So there's theme parks, there's merchandise, there's movies, there's TV. Um, you know, how, how does the launch of Disney Impact, or Disney Plus, I'm sorry, impact that calculation of intrinsic value? Like, how are you trying to to calculate what that's going to be worth. Because it's not just, I, I mean, I would say, yes, it's the, the subscribers, yeah. but it's the merchandise It's that, that follows up from that. So how do you get your hands around that? It's a pretty complicated answer, I guess. Um, maybe just thinking more near term, the most obvious way that Disney Plus is going to impact Disney as a whole is financially, they're going to take a lot of losses. Maybe not actually having like negative you know, earnings or anything like that, but it'll be significantly down as they invest to start the business. Uh, but importantly, they also make a lot of money from licensing the content they make to other third parties. If you watch a Disney movie on Netflix right now, Netflix pays a lot for that. They're going to pull that off, put it on the Disney Plus platform. So that's also some higher margin uh, revenue. So that's going to get pulled. And then beyond just actually shifting from being from not having to really interact with customers before outside of parks. Mm -hmm. They have to actually start to manage a subscription business and invest in everything that comes with that, including a lot of advertising and, you know, um, a lot of R&D. 
uh, but thankfully they have. That's why they went out and acquired Bamtech as well, um, and the Hot Star technology from their Fox acquisition should also be helpful um, alongside Hulu. So there's that, and then there's also the media networks business might suffer more if the cable bundle accelerates in its decline, hmm. which could happen if streaming starts to be adopted more broadly. I guess another way to put that is they could help enhance the acceleration or breaking of the bundle. Because they're offering something even more. Yeah, something that just takes you even deeper down the hole of probably not wanting to pay $100 for... (laughs) For random movies that are on at strange hours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, that'll hurt them near term. Um, But looking long term... Uh, we believe that it can that the service on a standalone basis can reach enough scale to where they'll be able to generate significant free cash flows. And just discounting that back, factoring it into what we believe the rest of the business can do, we think that it's trading at a, a solid margin of safety right now. Um, but more importantly than that, and I don't think there's really a good way to quantify this, but if you think about in 10 years, if you subscribe to Disney+, Plus, I don't think you're doing it just to watch their shows or their movies. Um, I think you might end up maybe subscribing to that and also getting a season pass to the theme parks or uh, maybe getting a year-long pass to go see their movies for free or get in to see their movies early. Um, Maybe if you have, you know, a son or a daughter, maybe they actually receive like a toy or something like that on their birthday. Um, The big shift for Disney is they're going from not really interacting much with their customers, not knowing anything really about their customers outside of theme parks, to now having all the customer data that you can imagine. Getting to know, they'll go from not managing their customers to now knowing almost everything about their customers that is relevant. Um, So they'll be able to customize the entire Disney experience to that individual person um, and their families. So I think that could lift the rest of the business pretty significantly. Um, and it doesn't even factor in if you want to bundle in watching sports or you know more adult content with Hulu. Um, I'm fairly convinced that this will, if they're successful in scaling Disney Plus, that it'll really drive the rest of the business. Trying to incorporate that financially is a little difficult sure. beyond just contemplating it in the terminal multiple. Yeah, that's so. That's the difference between an analyst and myself looking at this. Like I just think, oh, I can watch all the Disney movies and. <laughs> My kids will be happy, and but I hadn't thought about it that way, but packaging everything together would be brilliant. And obviously someone at Disney or many people at Disney sat down and said, well, if we launch our own service at this dollar amount, we're going to make up for the losses that we'll experience at Netflix at some point. Yeah. But to your point, there's going to be some early pain. Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and this kind of goes to what I think, like there's this great drawing that uh, Walt Disney did very early on um, that shows how all the different parts of the business are connected together. From 1957, it's his his vision for how he wanted the business to be set up. And moving to a direct-to-consumer subscription model, I think, positions Disney as a whole to be, to capitalize on that vision. So it embodies the whole whole picture that he drew. Yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy, considering he did it 60 years ago or 70 years ago, whatever it was. Yeah. Brilliant man. So, you know, my kids are older, so like I said, I'll probably still get it, but it feels like this is going to be a requirement for anyone with a child under the age of seven or eight. So I'm sure they're assuming a certain number of subscriptions day one, 
But what are what are your expectations from an initial subscription standpoint? Luckily for us, we look out five years, mm-hmm. um, and I think for Disney, it's necessary to look out even further. So Disney has provided guidance; they think they can get around sixty to ninety million subscribers by twenty twenty four. Uh, with one-third being domestic and the rest coming from international. Um, I think that that's pretty reasonable. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if they got over the high end. Uh, more near term, uh, it's, I've heard all sorts of different estimates. Um, I've heard 5 to 10 million in the first quarter, 10 to 20 million after the first year. Those seem a little aggressive to me, but also maybe not because it's Disney. Those sound reasonable. Uh, I'll be paying attention to the short-term results. Um, I kind of think that there could be hiccups because, again, Disney hasn't run a subscription business before. But as long as the short-term results don't indicate that we're wrong on the long term, then whatever happens is either a buying opportunity for us or just a sign that the thesis is working. What do you think the, the, the longer term, since we're looking out five years, uh, the impact on Netflix, which you also cover? They reported recently... Increased earnings per share. They underdelivered on domestic paid subscribers, but inter- international subscribers exceeded expectations. Is there a, a, I guess, what's the short term, what's the longer term impact to something like Netflix? I mean, obviously yeah. the loss of content like we talked about, but that's a little bit further out if I understand correctly that they've got some things that they're holding on to for like a year yeah. because of contract and then it goes away. So what do you think the impacts are going to be for Netflix? Yeah, yeah. So content wise, yeah, I think that stuff is going to slowly start to drip off Netflix and go back to not just Disney, but all the others that are launching their own platforms. Um, we'll try to claw back stuff like NBC is taking back The Office. Mm-hmm. Uh, Time Warner is taking back Friends to put on their service, um, which is the HBO Max service. All that stuff is moving, but then at the same time, Netflix is now investing, I believe the bulk of their content spend is on their own originals, which are doing fairly well. You know, it's hit or miss, and depending on who you talk to. But the idea <laughs> is that they have a $15 billion content budget right now, which is, I believe that might be the biggest in the industry if you exclude, you know, spending on sports. Right. Um, if it's not the biggest, it's very close. I think they're well positioned to continue creating new content, especially across different formats. Because if I was, if I put myself in the shoes of being an actor or a director, and I have a story I want to tell, Netflix will probably be able to pay me the most. Most likely I'll go with whoever pays me the most, and that's generally how these things work. But if it's important to me that a lot of people see it, Netflix has 160 million subs, and right now Disney technically has zero. Right. Um, and also I don't think Disney's necessarily – I don't think you would even think about making something for Disney that you might think about making for Netflix, considering it's just such a different – content proposition. So maybe taking a step back from the content, I guess that's a way for me to say that I think Netflix will be all right there, but they have to prove they can make good content Mm -hmm. because, again, the premise is that content is king. Right. In terms of them actually, like in terms of business results, I think that this might be a headwind as maybe in the short term, it might be a headwind uh, for them when it comes to adding subs and definitely for taking price. Uh, I think they took the price increase this year domestically with the idea that all these other launches were coming. And that's good because it should sustain them for a couple of years. Uh, Looking at longer term, though, I don't think that Disney and Netflix do the same job. Disney, really, Disney brings you Disney, which fulfills like a family environment. You can add sports on there. Netflix kind of fulfills like more of a just basic watching TV function. Mm -hmm. 
and there'll be so much content on there. I think that they'll basically continue to kind of be looked at as the cable bundle right now, where if you want to watch TV, Netflix can kind of be your base. At least right now, I, I think that they might be able to continue growing subs and exercising their pricing power. So some kind of differentiation between the two as time goes on. Yeah. Disney is the family package. Netflix is, as you said, your base, and then yeah. you can add to it sports or whatever you want. Yeah. Long term, I don't think that con- like content is highly differentiated. Mm-hmm. Like I want to watch Stranger Things, and then I want to watch A Bug's Life. Like I'll pay for two services. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people do that. And if you look at the cable bundle now, that's exactly what happens. It's just the bundle is a unique way to bundle, you know, to get it all together in an affordable fashion um, for most consumers. I think that's sort of the place we're headed. I think long term, there's going to be a few major winners globally when it comes to streaming video. Uh, and I think Netflix and Disney are well positioned to be two of them. Um, and then there will be several other niche offerings that people may add on. So one of the things that we talk about a lot recently on these podcasts is China. So what is the prospect for Disney, Netflix in China? Is there a competitor there that maybe those of us in the U.S. don't even think about? There's a few. Um, Thankfully, it doesn't. It shouldn't impact Netflix or Disney or, you know, anybody else uh, because Netflix and Disney aren't allowed to go to China right now. Um, Disney, essentially, the media censorship rules there make it so that you need to well, it's not even just that. I mean, they would have to basically start the company in, in okay. China to do it. Um, so it's just not even, I don't know. Disney has been able to get theme parks there, so maybe right. that could be an opportunity. At least Netflix has never found a way to do it. Um, and given all that's happened recently with the NBA and the, the Activision uh, Blizzard, during an eSport event, they were doing an interview with one of the players, and he said, support Hong Kong. And they immediately suspended him for a year and took away his prize money. Um, wow. And the players didn't react, or the fans didn't react too well to that. Given all that, I'm kind of thankful that they can't operate in China right now. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't put it past Disney to find a way to get in as well, which would be a really big opportunity. Well, great. Thank you so much for taking the time for joining me. Absolutely. Uh, appreciate it. Hopefully the listeners learned quite a bit. I know I did. Uh, and thanks again. Yep. Thank you. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by Diamond Hill Capital Management. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.